So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't How about you all? I'm joking. I use beat. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. Uh, actually soon to be starting a new position at a new site that will not involve me having to take a 50-mile train trip five days a week during the school year. I'm very, very excited about this. Um, that whole, it's it's been a little bit of an experience. Um, I don't know, how, how long have you been in your district at this point? 16 years okay. in this district, but I think I'm coming up on 18 or 19 years uh, <clears throat> in this area. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I specifically mentioned district is mm-hmm. because I am, of course, switching districts with a, with a move that big from mm-hmm. site to site. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have signed my offer letter. Um, I, I signed my resignation letter uh, for my prior district uh, actually just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd been able to join me and producer George, uh, last night in our game, you'd have heard about that. I... It was, it was pretty remarkable, uh, how quick my now former, uh, uh... principal, uh, put my resignation letter in front of me or not letter, the form, a separation form for the district, uh, saying, you know, uh, you know, no, you don't need to fill this out, but if you could, you, you know, make, make, make things easier for me, if you can just put your name and all this sign here. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, Okay. And also on the way out the door, uh, he he made a point of telling me, uh, number one, how sorry he was to be losing me, which is nice, and that he had been planning on asking me to take over the history department chair. Right. Next year. I remember that. Okay. Yeah, I did. I mm-hmm. did get to mm-hmm. mention that to you. Um, and uh, my wife is convinced that was he was just trying to make you feel bad about leaving. And I'm like, no, I genuinely think he didn't quite understand the extent to which I was done with him. Yeah. And and also there's the fact that mutual friend mm-hmm, of ours mm-hmm. uh, who you went to teacher school with, mm-hmm. who I won't name, but, you know, who we both know, who yes. is my department chair, was now was my department chair. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, has has gotten to the point where he does know how done she is with him, 
And I think he thought that uh, taking it away from her and giving it to me would make his life easier. Or possibly create a wedge. Possibly create a wedge, but he he forgets that, like, staff members talk to each other. Right, yeah, yeah. Especially staff members who were friends talk to each other. And we'd already had the conversation. No, it's called administration through manifestation. Like, you have a vision board (laughs) on your wall, and and you uh, act as though that's reality. And eventually, you know, you gaslight yourself into thinking it is. Okay. Well, yeah. So anyway, um, we can talk about that when we're not taking up podcast time with it. But I'm very, very excited. As you should be. To be be starting this new, uh, new chapter. Uh, the funny thing is, so I've 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 signed and returned my my mm-hmm. offer letter. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not had the chance to talk to my new principal yet since accepting the offer because that's all come through the district office, right? And so I'm in this weird limbo position of like, I've I've actually visited the campus, like I, I drove through the parking lot of the campus, going, oh my god, this is so cool. But I haven't spoken to anybody, and I don't know anything about it. But I just know, okay, this is where I'm going to be. Nice. And, okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a little weird. That's but exciting. I'm, but I'm very excited. Yeah. Nice. So, who are you, and what have you got going on? Nothing nearly as exciting as that. I'm Damian Harmony. I am a Latin high school teacher. Okay. High school Latin teacher. Uh, and uh, that Latin high school teacher makes it sound like you're. Teaching kids in togas. I know. Like, yeah. Okay. Which which was what I did. Um, but <laughs> but uh, that is being phased out. Um, but uh, also going to be picking up three sections of drama. Uh, so again, nowhere near as exciting as the uh, take this job and shove it moment that you kind of got to have in your head. Kind of. Yeah. But I did submit an entire. I, I gave three. So I'm normally an historian, right? Yeah. I gave three conditions under which I would take drama, none of which they were in any way forced to deal with me on, by the way. Okay. But it was one of those like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I want these three things. Okay. Because my philosophy has always been with administrators, make them say no. Make them say no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you've, I, you've told me that multiple times. Yes, like, sir. That's been your your yes. professional advice to me. Now for the next two years. Yeah. Always just say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I know. And then start I, making them say no. Yeah. And then yeah. and then start. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I said I need this different room, which oddly enough is the room that I had moved. So the current room that I'm in, I've had since my son was uh, since like the year after my son was born. Okay. Uh, and prior to that, I had a different room, which I'm essentially going back out to. Okay. And I said, I need this room because it's the old orchestra room. It has, uh, they, we got rid of our little theater, which was short-sighted. Um, but uh, I said, it has an academic space and a performance space, and I need these things. I need this list of plays because as much as I love Neil Simon, my students don't look like me and don't have my life experiences. I need plays that'll reach them too. And I had reached out to former students who are queer uh, and who are BIPOC AAPI. Okay. Uh, and uh, I said, and and by the way, who are, I didn't just reach out to all of them because that would be way too blank in an email. Uh, specifically, <laughs> the ones who had graduated with degrees in theater. Okay. I said, what plays spoke to you? Because I want plays that speak to my kids so they can get to a truer performance. And so I took that list from both of them. Okay. And then I made a master list and I said, I want all of these plays in my room. I want a copy of each of these plays. 
Uh, and uh, I I want you know I, I named my schedule that I want and and I also mm, I think there was something else I said oh I said I'm not doing the after school stuff because I have children. Uh, they said no problem in the after school stuff. Yes, you can have that room. And then the other day I got an email from my principal saying these are all approved. Okay, great. So, so. what's what's like top three? Off the top of your head, three of well, the plays on that list. What I am you... a huge Neil Simon fan. So okay, well, like, yeah, I mean, you know, you know. Uh, but uh, so am I. Yeah, no. So so some plays. Uh, <clears throat> I actually um, did. You ever see Death and the Maiden? No, but I've heard of it. Okay, okay. So got that. Uh, got Angels in America. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah, yeah. Uh, Twilight, Los Angeles. Oh, the one we'd spoken of. Yeah, yeah. Um, got. Uh, let's see. Uh, Die Yankee Die. Um, Cambodian, uh, oh, what was it about? Cambodian rock band, I think it was. I, I'm blanking on okay. the name. Uh, I got, um, a couple of August Wilson plays, um, not just Fences, but another one as well. Um, I, I got, a, I got some good, cause I just, I talked to a friend of mine who had actually designed the drama program for our district. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the course of study and I showed him the list. He's like, these are good. And here's also some others. I was like, great. I'll, I'll make those my asks for next year. So uh, nowhere near as exciting, uh, kind of a lateral shift. Yeah. Um, but... Well, and we've mentioned it previously. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I hadn't yep. mentioned to my wife mm-hmm. that you had had this this change thrust upon you mm. until just the other day. And uh, I said, yeah, so, you know, Damien's going to be going to be teaching drama. And she said, well, that's awfully appropriate, isn't it? Everybody's, I mean... it's everybody's response of like, oh, <laughs> But yeah, that fits. <laughs> so, you know, it's like Damien yeah. drama. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. So, you know, like friend of the show, Bishop mm-hmm. uh, O'Connell and I were, were talking about something earlier today. And, you know, uh, if, if somebody asks the two of us, are, are you in a drama club? Uh, our response simultaneously is going to be, we are a drama <laughs> club. Sure. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, I uh, yeah, it's it, it's one of those things of I I told my bosses I don't like how I got to this spot, but I'm okay with the spot that I landed. That makes sense, you know, and because I was yeah. looking for a way. Because after this last year, I was mm-hmm. looking for a way to make it that I never had to grade papers outside of work hours again. Having a class that's entirely yeah. performance based will absolutely satisfy that. Yes, it will. So yes, it will. I do lose the the thing that I've built for the last. 14 years. Yeah, long uh, time. But, you know, uh, the the nature of things has changed. Uh, it's sifting like the sands on a sand dune. There you go. Which, nicely done. Thank you. Only a little bit forced. Oh, very ham-fisted. But, very but ham-fisted. Uh, yeah, that does bring us back to what we're actually yes. supposed to be talking about. Only nine and a half minutes uh, into recording. Hey, the first episode of Dune took, uh, took 45. F- forever. So. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, so this is now our third mm-hmm. uh, episode talking about it. So now we can actually say this. Dune, Dune, Dune. Nice. Not even mad. Yeah. Not even and if, mad. if we take this to seven, Dune, 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 Dune. <laughs> well done. Yep. Well done. Dune, Dune. Um. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be cool. Special victims unit, Dune. <laughs> yeah. Oh Lord. Well, it's a Chris knife. It could be fucking anybody. He. You know yeah, what? You know. He used a killing word. Yeah, but I think she just called out his name during sex. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, uh, when last... Are, all the kids are mod DB. Oh. <laughs> oh. That one gets you a good day, sir. Yeah. That's, that's... All right. Yeah. So... Yeah, when last we spoke... When, when last we were talking about this, uh-huh. um, I, I actually... Because I've we we had a hiatus for recording. You, mm-hmm. you you on the listing end hopefully didn't notice it, but we we didn't record for a week, um, and so I I had to text uh, Damien earlier today, going, uh, "Where where did we leave off?" <laughs> because I have all these notes, and I know it was somewhere vaguely here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I had been talking about the Navigators Guild, right. And um, I had gotten done talking about the Bene Gesserit. I had gotten done talking about a number of other other parts of the universe. Just yes. talking about the the aspects of the universe that Herbert had built. Mm-hmm. And what I had essentially left left off, I had not yet gotten to, was actually talking about the noble houses themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Very quickly, again, yeah. uh, for those who, for whatever reason, decided, I'm going to start this on episode three of this series. You're a monster. You're, you're fucking weird. I don't know if I'd say monster, but you're I will, weird. I will go on record saying okay. you are a monster. Um, but, uh, so Dune, of course, takes place in a feudal society. Yes. Okay. There's no point in trying anything because the sands are going to get you. Well, yes. Yeah. That too. But I mean, I mean, the overarching universe, the economy and the political system is F-E-U-D-A-L, feudal. Oh, oh okay. Not, okay. not pointless and, and not worth trying. Although under such a system, I would say that it might be pointless and not worth trying. Well, I, you, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you're not, there is, there is an interesting symmetry involved in the sound <laughs> of those two words. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so so it is it is a society where we have uh it's it's you've got lords you've got vassals, you got lords you've ladies. got you've got noble titles sure uh you know duke leto atreides mm-hmm. um you know the padasha emperor shadam the fourth is of course at the top of the heap uh and then his you name have is the, shit on the fourth shadam shadam okay that's different Shaddam. I thought you said the the uh, Padishah Emperor. Padishah Emperor shit on the fourth, and I was like, "What? I, yeah, that's what I heard? No, okay. no, Herbert was not nearly that uh, radical, scatological. Yeah, or scatological <laughs> for that matter. Um, I can, now I can see why they would want that floating flat, fat man to come down, though. Because yeah. what if he shits on the fifth? He becomes oh. the Padishah Emperor. Well, there you go. That's yeah. how it's. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, that's actually there's a translation for the name for Emperor in Cambodia. I want to say. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, he who for whom our heads are fit for carrying his excrement or something like that. It's basically wow. he who can shit on our heads. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 something. Damn. I, well, you know. Damn. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a thing mm-hmm. all right so so even though this setting is impossibly far forward in the future this right. this you know thousands and thousands of years ahead of us mm-hmm. um there's this there's this immediate sense of of kind of decay involved because we're dealing with a society that has moved politically and economically backward oh okay okay yeah so so now part of this is just that Dune is a product of its time. It's a product of where science fiction was. And this is, it is, it is, uh, concurrent Mm -hmm. Dune's, Dune's publishing 
is roughly concurrent with uh, Foundation by Isaac Asimov, which also okay. is a, a built around the setting of an interstellar empire. Okay. And so this this was a concept within the genre that was a kind of a widespread thing. And it is kind of the logical narrative evolution of the whole idea of planetary romance. Okay. When you have swashbuckling adventures in space, the idea that you're going to have royalty and all of the kind of romantic trappings of a feudal society. Mm-hmm kind of follows at least in in if you are are raised in a in an environment where the fairy tales you you hear as a kid are you know coming out of the late medieval early modern european era Uh uh-huh that's just kind of where your brain is gonna go and so that's kind of how how the genre had developed so now you might answer this in the next paragraph so feel free to say i'm getting to that but you've just mentioned dune as being contemporaneous with another fiction another science fiction yes when were they actually published in real life, though? Uh, well, no, no. When I say yeah. contemporaneous, I mean their publication happened at roughly the same time. Yes. What What time is that, though? Ed? Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. We're talking <laughs> Again, about the mid the mid sixties. Okay, that's what I want you to know. Okay, so we're sorry. talking I about didn't, I decaying didn't empires in the yeah. mid sixties. Yes. That's the thing that I'm interested in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. because well, not not uh, that the rest isn't interesting. Yeah. I no, no. I understand. Yeah. yeah no. Like, I, 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 I got. I got what, what you, I got what you meant when they yeah. fight with their little knives and they and they yeah. like clang them against each other and then it causes them both to jump back because everyone knows the crisscross will make you jump, 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 jump. Yeah. jump. God, I said good day. <laughs> so, um, and I can I can look up the specific. Uh, sure, which, but we're talking which one came out at which time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Dune Dune published in '65. Okay. That one off the top of my head, I have handy. Okay. Where my brain immediately went mm-hmm. was uh, because of the way the genre influences itself. Mm-hmm. Trying to remember which one was first. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And and if I'm, <laughs> I think Foundation was published in '59. Okay. Or early earlier 60s okay because well i'll get i'll get into dune's relationship to other things with the genre later on but the houses of the landsrod are the noble houses of of this universe okay okay and so there are there we we know of house atreides and house harkonnen those are the two the two houses of fair Verona or, you know, the yeah, Star-crossed Pod- Pod- empire, yeah. you know, the, the around which our, our story is built. Um, and of course we have our protagonist who is, uh, Paul Atreides, who is the heir to his father, Duke Leto Atreides. Right. On the other side, we have Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. Very important to note, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen is, um, it is it is hinted at very strongly mm-hmm. that Baron Harkonnen may be the wealthiest man in the galaxy. At the okay. beginning, at the beginning of the book, he is he has more money than God. Like, okay. like Harkonnen has way much more wealth than House Atreides does, but his title is lower. Um, Remember yes. that Duke is right up next to the king, right? And a baron is just above landlord, a, a knight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like he's kind of a lar- large scale landlord, as yeah. opposed to no, no. I am a magnate of the realm. Right, right. right. 
Um, and then, you know, below Duke is an Earl and, you know, but, but anyway, so a Duke so of Earl, Duke of Earl. Yeah. That's was, is is that kind of a nonsense title. Okay. I was going to say, is there yeah. a place called Earl? No. Okay. Cause no. being the Earl of Earl just seems, it seems weird. Little or, or, oh, that's why you need the Duke of Earl. Yeah. Because, right. because yeah. it'd be redundant. Otherwise it's like naming an entire part of the hospital after one family. Um, the wing family. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. The especially, wing. especially in upstate New York, the Buffalo wings. Nice. Yeah. I like it. So well done. Not even mad yeah. on that one. It's called the wing. So wing. yeah. Okay. That one. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> uh, um, so, so the, the houses of Lansrad are, mm-hmm. are the aristocracy of, of this empire. Okay. The emperor is at the top of the heap by himself. He has, a larger military force at his disposal than any other house. Is he a, a moderating emperor? Is he a weakening and faltering emperor that people are jockeying to take over? What kind of emperor are we talking about? The overwhelming sense that we have Mm -hmm. is he is, uh, he is the power within the empire. The emperor is, the 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 he he constantly has to worry and i'm going to talk about when we get into themes of the novel when we uh-huh. talk about politics and power that's a thing but it is it is very clear that he is a very powerful individual mm-hmm. but he is very very conscious and everybody in the book is very okay. conscious about the fact that no no if he had all his ducks in a row he mm-hmm. could destroy anybody Okay. But the moment he actually does it, mm-hmm. everybody else is going to go for his head because they're all going to see that he could do the same thing to them. Okay. So it's he's got a very sharp sword in the scabbard. But yes. as soon as he strikes the blow, he's out of action he's, for the round. Yeah. He, it's, yeah it's blunted. And, yeah. Yeah. And so so one of one of the recurring themes is the limitations of absolute power. So the emperor, if that if that makes sense, no, it is. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the paradox involved in that, yeah, having is one of the recurring hegemonic themes. power is okay. So again, this is sixty five. Yeah. So is the emperor cut out for the United States, or is the emperor cut out for any dictator that is the suzerain over the the a analogy? Empire? The analogy is not as direct as okay. Shaddam the fourth is Nixon. Okay. Or Johnson would have been Johnson would have been yeah. Johnson. You know, it's not, he is Johnson at all. Okay. If it's anything, he might be George the fourth. Okay. I, I get, so, I get much stronger British empire vibes. R- well, yeah. Cause you're than, talking about an empire in decline. Yeah. So now is Frank Herbert an Anglophile or is he English or not? Not that I'm able to see. He's, okay. You know, pack Norwest kid okay but i think within the popular imagination sure the british empire well would be the model if you're if you're an yeah. anglophone the british empire is the empire yeah you know if you're a francophone it would be you know the later you know French yeah but but france empire. france has not had an emperor for quite some time for quite it's been a quite republic a it, yeah. yeah so okay so uh and and in 65 i mean you're starting to see uh, you know, India gets freedom in, in 48, 49. Yeah. Um, in 65, you are seeing a whole bunch of African countries. Yeah. Well, let me hold oh, on. Yeah. Because okay. remember, we, we we briefly went over this. But yeah. 
uh, the Portuguese colonies started to pull away after Goa was annexed by India in right. 61. Um, and Angola, Mozambique, and right. Guinea-Bissau wound up having a 13-year-long civil war. Uh, the French left Algeria in 62. That's mm-hmm. after the after, coup. And that's after eight years of fighting, by the yeah. way, to hold on. The yeah. dirty war. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kenya had the, and this is the British Mau. Empire, yeah. had the Mau Mau 52 and 56. And Rhodesia right. had an ugly civil war. I mean, there's no other kind, but a particularly nasty one. Yeah. That started in 64 and ran until 79. Yeah. Um, Belgium being Rhodesia. Yeah. (laughs) Belgium, Belgium cut the Congo loose, took out the light bulbs. You've told that story. (laughs) Like what kind of crazy bitch takes the ice trays? (laughs) Like that's, that's the quote. And that's such a crummy movie, but that's the quote that comes to mind. What movie is that? uh, True lies. It's it's oh, yes, uh, yes, Tom yes. Tom Arnold's line yeah. about his ex wife. She took, his, she took the ice trays. Yeah, what yeah. kind of crazy bitch takes the ice trays? Belgium, Belgium. Yeah, like okay, yeah, okay. So you're Leopold. Seeing, yeah, yeah, and you're seeing the Sino-Soviet uh, alliance faltering and 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 having yeah. already you know yeah. Ooh, apart. you know I hadn't thought about yeah the other Harkonnen, side. Harkonnen, well, Harkonnen uh-huh. and the Emperor. Uh huh. Are are operating as I explained in the, mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. you know brief five minute <laughs> here's here's a way simplified plot arc right uh you know and and so so the emperor sees Leto as a threat mm-hmm. because Leto is a duke he is he is a a leader of a house major meaning he has a, a very large military force mm-hmm. has a lot of wealth. And mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. he has that Harkonnen, Baron Harkonnen, who has all the money and presumably lots of military force of his own, what Harkonnen doesn't have is anybody's respect. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, because he doesn't have, because he's a baron. You know, never mind the fact he's got more money than Croesus. Right. He's a baron. So, um, so Leto. Wow, he sounds familiar. Yeah. He sounds real familiar. <laughs> <laughs> to to in, us recording this in the year 20 in the future of 2021 yeah you know so um, so but, yeah so did he have a lot of like dealings with queens uh did no. he insist that males uh wear a covering on their heads man kept the hat on Oh, nice. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, okay. No. Okay. Nothing like that. We'll get into okay. Harkonnen as a character here sure, in a second sure. uh, because it, it's an important part of kind of talking about the yeah, yeah. Okay, the comparison so he's between Rich him. as hell, but no one respects him. Yeah, rich as hell, no one respects him. Leto mm-hmm. is, I mean, old he's a magnate. He's a duke, yeah. old money. You know, well, they're all old money, generations old money, but, you know, he doesn't, He he's not... His power is rooted in prestige mm-hmm. and and charisma. Soft power. Soft power. Yeah. And so the emperor sees who is, it's repeated multiple times, uh, Leto is a distant cousin of the emperor himself. Oh, okay. And so the so emperor... So that is, of course, a threat. Yeah. So the emperor sees Leto as a threat because mm-hmm. the other nobles within the Landsrad follow Leto's example. Mm-hmm. And Leto has called the emperor. We we hear this in various conversations. Leto has essentially set himself up as the leader of the opposition within the House of Lords. Effectively, the Lance okay. Rod 
is the what what passes for a parliamentary body in this universe. Mm -hmm. And it is clearly supposed to be a balancing force on the power of the emperor. Okay. Okay. And, and so, of course, the emperor wants it to be on his terms, not not true balance or yeah, not adversarial yeah. balance. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. So, and now I actually need to open the book up because there's a great quote, and this this will simultaneously uh, uh, give you a, a primer on on what exactly the the universe looks like politically and kind of where the landsrad falls, but it also give you an idea of how people talk in this universe, which mm-hmm. is special. So. Um, this is in the middle of, uh, this is, this is right before, let's see, give me a sec. Yeah, this is, this is before Paul Mm -hmm. was going to be going into, uh, undergo the Gomjabar. Okay. The 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 test, test. the pain test. Okay. So, um, so Jessica is having a back and forth, a verbal sparring match with uh, Mother uh, Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohiam, her her teacher, and later on we the audience find out her mother, mm-hmm. uh, but she doesn't know that because Benny Jesuit and they don't know their parentage. Right. So um, so Jessica, it, I'm, I'm cutting in the middle of the conversation. That's certainly what I need right now. Jessica said, "A review of history. Don't be facetious, girl." You know as well as I do what forces surround us. We have a three-point civilization. The imperial household balanced against the federated great houses of the Lansrad, and between them, the guild with its damnable monopoly on interstellar transport. In politics, the tripod is the most unstable of all structures. It'd be bad enough without the complication of a feudal trade culture which turns its back on most science. Jessica spoke bitterly. Chips in the path of the flood. And this chip here, this is the Duke Leto. And this one's his son. And this one's... Oh, shut up, girl. You entered this with full knowledge of the delicate edge you walked. I am Benny Jesuit. I exist only to serve. Jessica quoted. Okay. So, right there... Yeah. That's that's a primer on who we're dealing with. Right. And it gives you an idea. Like, that's the dialogue in this fucking book. Okay? Um... I love this book, mm-hmm. but oh my God, it's so clear. I have big, I- my name is Frank Herbert and I have big ideas, right? You know, um, but so that, but that, that's, that's a really great summary. It's a little bit, not a little, it's ham fisted, but it is a really great way of expressing, uh, uh-huh. Okay, look, this is this is who the forces are that we're that we're dealing with. This yeah. is how this works. In many ways, this is the pointer scene for this is how society is. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and there's there's more even before that talking about Choam, which I'm gonna get into. Uh but right now talking about the Lansrod. Um so we have we have a feudal trade culture. Um and we have these these noble houses so individual planets mm-hmm. are essentially left up to the nobles who own them okay to run them right okay in right. the same way that in feudal europe right you know technically speaking all of england belonged to the king right but he was limited by the fact that well my great great grandfather gave this territory to you to control mm-hmm. you're going to you know pay me a portion of the rent you collect in return when I call on you to fight for me you got to show up you know 
right, right. primer on the feudal system, of course. But similarly, uh, technically speaking, the emperor could, if he wanted to, take anybody's territory away any time. But if but he does if that... He does that He's he's it's gonna not have, without consequence. They're, yeah, they're all going to yeah. unite against him, and right. you know, just like a feudal king, yeah, had to be very careful about how how hard he hit somebody with a particular hammer, which was really what cooked John's goose. Mm-hmm. Historically, was he didn't know when to use the hammer and when not to. Right. But right. anyway, so so. On a given, the culture of a given planet is going to be very closely tied to the culture of the house that runs it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And reflective of it and, and their values. And yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And and vice versa. So there's, mm-hmm. there's going to be this, you know, cyclical, you know, back and forth between the house that rules a place and the people who live under their rule. And the emperor is only going to get involved when he has to. Right. Okay. Partly because who who wants to try to micromanage a thousand different planets. Yeah, you got other things. You to got do other that. things to do. Yeah. On, and and some and at the same time, if he tries to do that too much, he's not going to be emperor anymore. Sure. Okay. Um and so we have we have these two houses uh being held up against one another from the very beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. We have House Atreides and we have House Harkonnen. And House Atreides is the House of Atreus. Mm -hmm. Okay. They trace themselves to the House of Atreus. Duke Leto, at at the head of the house at the start of the novel, I've already mentioned he's popular with the other lords of the Lancerad. Right. And um, he he has started, the beginning of the book, he has started a war of assassins called Conley. Okay. Uh, in the constructed future language that that Herbert came up with yeah, some of yeah. his terminology from, he has started this war of assassins against House Harkonnen. Okay. Okay. And we find out that Harkonnen are the ancient, generations-long feuding enemies of House Atreides. Uh-huh. They've been enemies for a thousand years. It's a passing reference in the novel here and in a couple of the other novels later on, they talk about the battle of Carino, which then, uh, Brian Herbert and, mm-hmm. uh, Anderson, Kevin Anderson, then, you know, in the prequel novels, they, they write a whole book about the battle of Carino and like have to go into all the details about how it happened and why the two houses hate each other and mm-hmm. like, just leave it alone. Right. But anyway, right. Sorry. I'm, I'm editorializing there, but, um, so, so there's this, this generations long feud mm-hmm. and Leto has, has basically pulled the pin on it Okay. and said, he, he sends a letter, he sends a message to, to Baron Harkonnen saying, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who still believe in the old ways of Canley, which according to, according to the convoluted, you know, wheels within wheels, Machiavellian kind of language of the noble houses of this universe is the way of saying, fuck you, Canley. Right. You know, uh, which is we're going to war, but our troops are never going to meet on a battlefield, but I'm going to be doing everything I can to get your head on a spike. Right. Right. And I expect you're going to be doing the same thing to me. Yeah. And I've told you, and I've told, and I have given you warning. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, 
And so now the reason for this is that Leto before the book starts, we find out in the first few pages that house Atreides is moving to the planet of Arrakis, which had been controlled by house Harkonnen for decades previously. Mm -hmm. And Leto knows he's being sent into a trap and he knows Harkonnen is part of it. Okay. He knows that this is a scheme of that Harkonnen is, is making it look like, Oh look, it's being taken away from me. Okay. Okay. As a, as a way to, work and he knows he's working with the emperor somehow, but he doesn't know details. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is all thanks to his mentat doing the fourth and fifth order calculations of, okay, yeah, who, yeah. who, who's going to, who gets the money? Like where, mm-hmm. where, you know, how does this work out? Um, and so he, he has basically said, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to Arrakis. And by the way, fuck you. I'm gonna have your head on a pole. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, um, House Atreides are the good guys. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like, like, clear. like and from, yeah. from, from the outset, obviously mm-hmm. our, our very clear protagonist is the heir to House Atreides. So right. right away there's that. But the other thing that's really important is from the very, very beginning, mm-hmm. we see the cultures of the two houses compared to one another immediately. And we see that mm-hmm. Leto has this select group of characters, Duncan Idaho, the master swordsman, mm-hmm. Gurney Halleck, the troubadour warrior poet, uh, Thufir Hawat, the, the Mentat assassin. Mm-hmm. He has all of these people who are, who love him. Okay. Like, like yeah. they are, they are motivated. They're partly motivated because they hate the Harkonnen, mm-hmm. but they are also motivated because he, he has made them love him. Okay. Um, and so, um, they are, they are very clearly the good guys. The thing is though, they're not poly pure hearts. Okay. Um, we see the Duke is playing a power game. Mm-hmm. He is playing a very calculated right. power game. He's not going to Arrakis for moral reasons. He's right. not going to liberate the poor sods on the planet from Harkin and oppression. Mm-hmm he is going to treat them better uh-huh. and he's going to make sure they're aware that, Hey, look how much better I'm treating. He actually has a rather, uh, bitter self-directed moment, mm-hmm. uh, talking to his mm-hmm. son about, no, you don't understand. The very first people we sent to this planet were my propaganda corps okay. to let all of yeah. these people know how wonderful I am. Look how great I am. Look what a look, look how humane I am. Look at all this. And, and he says this like bitterly, like he's, yeah. he hates, he feels filthy for it. And the thing is, there's a very, very telling moment mm-hmm. that Herbert writes really well. It's also a great moment in the movie. You may remember it. Uh, the Lynch movie where, um, he and Paul and several of these henchmen, you know, high ranking henchmen mm-hmm. go, to see what a spice harvester, what a spice crawler looks like when it's in operation. Okay. Well, the spice crawler comes under attack from a worm. Mm-hmm. And the short version of the story is the Duke says, forget about the equipment, get all of those men aboard ornithopters, get them out of there. I don't care about the equipment. I care about the people. Okay. And the men aboard the crawler are like, there's an unimaginable amount of spice 
sitting in that crawler, like the kind of wealth involved in losing that is, I don't care. Right. People are more important. Get the people aboard the thopters, sure. get them out of here. Sure. Whatever you've got to dump to make weight to get them off the ground and get them out of here before that worm gets here, mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And this, this is this moment of, Oh my God, Clearly this guy's like, Holy shit. And the people of D- the, the, the Dune natives who are, you know, involved in all of this, are like, Oh, well, this is a change mm-hmm. because they've been under Harkin and rule and the Harkonnen would have flayed yeah. a crew for not staying aboard the Harvester until the absolute last minute, right, right. you know, to get every penny out of it that they could, you know. And so, so he is a humane figure and Atreides is more relatively morally upright, but we are constantly aware mm-hmm. of the uh, dirty tricks that, that they play. Like one of one of the kind of side conversations that happens is uh, Duke Leto says to his mentat, "Okay, so if they're planning on doing this, uh, they're going to be stockpiling uh, spice because they know that there's going to be interference in in the economy. They're going to be stockpiling supplies. Um, I want you to get together with my highest ranking generals. I want you to put together a team to raid their home planet and destroy their stockpiles. Okay, like, yeah, make it happen, like blow their shit up. Like, you know, dirty tricks, knives in the dark. Mm-hmm. It's canly. Mm-hmm. Now, that's our good guys. Right. The mirror image of that. I would say that, okay. so your your characterization of them is that they are cunning and ruthless. Yeah. But at, at core, uh, they value people. Yeah. And they're moral. Yeah. That seems to be how they're being set up. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and Leto and Paul... Mm-hmm. although it's it's mentioned many times later in the book it's mentioned uh you know am i my father he asks one of his one thufir hawat at the at the culmination of the novel spoiler alert okay. he asks thufir hawat am i my father's son and thufir says you're more your grandfather's son you're the you're the old duke i i see i see the look you have you have his right. look about you and whatever right. and it's and it's it's kind of mentioned that the old duke was more calculating more formal more you know less sentimental less squishy mm-hmm. than leto uh harder than than duke leto okay. um but so so and and it is repeatedly mentioned that leto and paul to a lesser extent get people to follow them through love mm-hmm. that that we we know because we're inside everybody's head through the whole book we right. know Leto respects and values and loves all of his subordinates Mm -hmm. and the interplay between them is full of warmth. Okay. Is like at one point Gurney Halleck, Gurney Halleck makes a remark and Duke Leto says, if I ever catch that man without a quote, he'll be, he'll be naked. You know, just the, like Herbert does a really great job of making it really clear with remarkably little dialogue, especially after the passage I just read, you mm-hmm. might not believe me that, that these people have known each other and these people are family to one another. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how Atreides operates. How's Harkonnen. If Atreides are the nuanced good guys, then Harkonnen are all caps. The bad guys. Sure. Sure. Mustache twirling black cape, cackling villains um and and to give you an idea 
of this. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is this. We're, we're now on Gaiety Prime, mm-hmm. the, the home world of the uh, uh, Harkonnen. And uh, this is this is the introduction we have to to House Harkonnen. An ellipsoid desk with the top of jade pink petrified Ilaka wood stood at the center of the room. Veriform suspensor chairs ringed it, two of them occupied. In one sat a dark-haired youth of about sixteen years, round of face and with sullen eyes. The other held a slender, short man with effeminate face. Both youth and man stared at the globe and the man half-hidden in shadows, spitting it. A chuckle sounded beside the globe. A basso voice rumbled out of the chuckle. There it is, Piter. The biggest man-trap in all history. And the dukes headed into its jaws. Is it not a magnificent thing that I, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, do? Assuredly, Baron, said the man. His voice came out tenor with a sweet musical quality. The fat hand descended onto the globe, stopped the spinning. Now all eyes in the room could focus on the motionless surface and see that it was the kind of globe made for wealthy collectors or planetary governors of the empire. It had the stamp of imperial handicraft about it. Latitude and longitude lines were laid in with hair-fine platinum wire. The polar caps were insets of finest cloud milk diamonds. The fat hand moved, tracing details on the surface. I invite you to observe, the basso voice rumbled. Observe closely, Piter. And you too, Fedrotha, my darling. From 60 degrees north to 70 degrees south, these exquisite ripples. Their coloring, does it not remind you of sweet caramels? And nowhere do you see blue of lakes or rivers or seas. And these lovely polar caps, so small. Could anyone mistake this place? Arrakis. Truly unique. A superb setting for a unique victory. A smile touched Piter's lips. And to think, Baron, the Padishah Emperor believes he's given the Duke your spice planet. How poignant. That's a nonsensical statement, the Baron rumbled. You say this to confuse young Fade Rautha, but it is not necessary to confuse my nephew. The sullen-faced youth stirred in his chair, smoothed a wrinkle in the black leotards he wore. He sat upright as a discreet tapping sounded at the door in the wall behind him. Piter unfolded from his chair, crossed to the door, cracked it wide enough to accept a message cylinder. He closed the door, unrolled the cylinder, and scanned it. A chuckle sounded from him. Another. Well? the baron demanded. The fool answered us, baron. Whenever did an Atreides refuse the opportunity for a gesture? The Baron asked. Well, what does he say? He's most uncouth, Baron. Addresses you as Harkonnen. No sire at share cousin, no title, nothing. It's a good name, the Baron growled, and his voice betrayed his impatience. What does dear Leto say? He says your offer of a meeting is refused. I have oft times met your treachery, and this is and this all men know. And, the baron asked, he says, the art of Canley still has admirers in the empire. He signs it, Duke Leto of Arrakis. Piter began to laugh. Of Arrakis? Oh my, this is almost too rich. Be silent, Piter, the baron said, and the laughter stopped as though shut off with a switch. Canley, is it? The baron asked. Vendetta, huh? 
And he uses the nice old word so rich in tradition to be sure I know he means it. That's our introduction. Yeah. Like, like, like how... Bad guy in a shadowed room despite the opulent wealth and the lighting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Now, what I didn't get around to because, you know, I was already engaging. Yeah, engaging in a a long excerpt. But yeah. Um, but what, what then is, is important to point out is Leto is described repeatedly as being, you know, good looking, rugged, Mm -hmm. you know, athletic leader of men type Baron Vladimir Harkonnen literally has to wear a harness with anti-grav modules attached to it in order to move around because he is so grossly obese yes um he vladimir harkonnen is a poster boy for moral degradation a la 1960s kind of mores okay um house harkonnen engages in slavery there is there is a there is a whole side plot within the book that my summary didn't mention where fade rautha spends a year and a half Mm -hmm. working to try to assassinate his uncle in order to take over House Harkonnen, mm-hmm. and he does it by tr- by by replacing the slave master of House Harkonnen with somebody who's loyal to him. Okay, he winds up getting caught. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they they have a a an entire stable of slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, the the punishment when Fade Rautha gets caught. Uh, the punishment that that the Baron uh, uh, enforces on Fade Rautha for trying to kill him is, I'm going to make sure that you go into the slave quarters and you strangle every one of your pleasure slaves with your own hands mm. for trying to kill me. Okay. So that gives you an idea of yeah. just how decrepit we're talking about these people being morally. Um, and so, so Vladimir is, um, a pederast. Um, he is, uh, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly irredeemable. Just like absolutely like filthy, just Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in every possible kind of aspect, filthy stain. Yeah. He is essentially a fat human skexis. Yes. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good. Really good analogy. Yes, I like that a lot. Now, he has two nephews. Mm-hmm. And in, in this book, we don't know anything about his sibling, who is the parent of these two nephews. But sure. they are brothers. Raban, mm-hmm. known as the Beast Raban, who is uh, thuggish, mm-hmm. not really a thinker. Like, I'm not going to say he's stupid. Right. Like, his portrayal in the movie is like, he's an idiot. Like he's, he's a big noble idiot, Mm -hmm. you know, below normal IQ dummy, you know, but gets away with stuff because his uncle is rich and he's, he's big enough to push people around. Like in the book, Mm -hmm. he's not that stupid, but he is a blunt object. He is, he is, he, he has, he has an average intelligence score and not a very high wisdom. Like, you know, he ain't dumb. He just prefers 
<clears throat> this direct approach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, doesn't, doesn't think two steps, three steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Fade Rautha is slender and beautiful mm-hmm. and a fucking psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, yeah, you know, I mean, you have basically, you've got thick and brutish. And yeah. You've got scheming and stiletto sharp. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Fade Rautha as his, as his hobby, he, he fights in, in house Harkonnen's gladiatorial contests. Okay. And I mean, they're rigged. Like he's the, he's the, the presumed heir to, to house Harkonnen. So it's not like they're going to let him die. Right. But, but his, his idea of fun is, well, you know, this one might actually wound me. Right. 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 Um, and, and there's, there's a whole scene that is part of that subplot about trying to kill his uncle that, that involves his, his competing in the, in the arena. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's, he's Viper like and, and all of these things. Okay. And so these, these two houses are held up as mirror images of each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And they are our window into the entire noble cast of the empire. Mm -hmm. And one way of looking at them would would be thinking of these are kind of the moral extremes. Yeah, I was going to say, these are tentacles of of morality. Yeah, Yeah. so so on the one end, like the best you're going to get is a house like Atreides, who are ruthless and autocratic. And no, no, we're nobles. You're not. Right. Um, and, and our, our power is, is built on the edge of a knife and, you know, nuclear weaponry. Sure. Um, and then on the other end are, no, 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 we literally fucking own you. Mm-hmm. Like we own everybody. And one of the incidents in the book, um, that's, that's notable about Harkonnen. When, uh, Baron Harkonnen's, uh, head of security mm-hmm. dies, uh, in an attempt on the Baron's life. Uh, so, so long story short, when too late and, and it's, it's, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. But when, when, uh, when the Harkonnen overcome house Atreides on Arrakis Mm -hmm. and Duke Leto is brought before Harkonnen. So Harkonnen has the chance to gloat before Leto dies. Sure. Uh, Leto has been given a poison tooth and he's supposed to crunch on the tooth and exhale. Right. Toxic right. gas is going to kill Harkonnen and, and that'll be Dr. Huey's ultimate revenge on Vladimir Harkonnen. Long story. Um, now he does that. He mm-hmm. succeeds, mm-hmm. but the Baron is at the other end of the room because the, the Duke is kind of muzzy cause he's been beat up and, and concussed Sure. And so he gets Piter, the Mentat, mm-hmm. and the the Baron's head of security dies in the expanding cloud of toxic gas. Okay. The Baron gets away. Well, now the Baron needs a new chief of security. Mm-hmm. The first man who who shows up and responds and takes control of the situation is a essentially non commissioned officer in his household guards. And he promotes that guy immediately. And one of the first things he remembers is, wait, 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 wait. You're addicted to Semuta. That's what I'm going to use to control you. Oh, okay. So Harkonnen 
holds dominion over their people by, I know what your weaknesses are. Right. I know what I can, I know what I can deny you mm-hmm. or threaten to take away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to get yeah. leverage. That's how I'm going to maintain control. And so one house rules through love and the other one rules through force and fear. Right. And so we have this, again, this spectrum of, you know, this, this is what, this is the, the, what the nobility of this universe looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, parallel to the noble houses is Choam, which is the feudal overarching corporate structure that essentially runs the economy. Okay. Like it would be, it would be wrong to call Choam a monopoly, but it kind of is a monopoly. Like it's the corporation slash regulatory body mm-hmm. that assigns directorships. And so control of the planet Arrakis is a Choam directorship mm-hmm. that goes along with the noble title of Duke of Arrakis. Okay. If that makes sense. And so it's, it is, it is the regulatory agency and corporation from which noble houses gain their wealth. Okay. 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 Um, and then that brings in the most important commodity. So everything anybody buys anywhere in the universe yeah. has passed through the hands of Chom at least once. Okay. 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 Um, and the most important commodity in the galaxy is melange, the spice. Okay. So everybody needs it. Mm-hmm. There's only one planet where it can be gotten. That's Arrakis. And so control of, of Arrakis through a Chom directorship appointed by the emperor with the ascent of the Lansrad. So now mm-hmm. you kind of see how it all ties yeah, together yeah, yeah. gives a noble house, a source of unimaginable wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul figures out uh, over the course of his, his apotheosis into the Kwisatz Haderach. Paul has a semi mystical experience in which he figures out mm-hmm what the actual source of the spice is and how the ecology of the spice works. And he figures out how it could be destroyed. Because if you destroy that, then you don't have a wildly imbalancing uh, influence in the world. Well, one, two, um, as he puts it, the power to destroy a thing is the absolute control of it. Okay. So nobles eat this stuff in their food regularly for its longevity properties. It, sure. it allows people to live 100, 120 years looking like they're 50 or 60 or younger. Uh, Mentats and guild navigators use it for their precognitive powers. And uh, that part with the guild makes it unavoidably vital mm-hmm. for the function of literally all of society as everybody in this galaxy knows it. So it's, it's, if, if, the, go ahead. I was going to say, it's either, it's transistor radios and, or it is specifically nuclear power. I mean, you know how nuclear power in the sixties was going to start powering everything and they started oh, yeah. ginning up yeah, 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 power yeah. plants and all yeah. that, which, yeah. you know, good or bad, it was yeah. a, a source of energy that was very exciting for people to, you know, get to witness. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and yet it is a thoroughly destructive and destabilizing influence. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. Yeah, it's also petroleum. Oh, okay. Yeah. Remember that one of Herbert's first published stories mm-hmm. had to do with yes. a war over oil. Okay. Um, 
And so, but, and so without this, there, there is no interstellar trade. Everybody is going to be fumbling around in the dark. Individual planets are going to be cut off from literally everybody else. Nobody can move. Nobody can move. All commerce will grind. Will. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, and so control of Arrakis mm-hmm. is again, mm-hmm. and when I get into really focusing on themes, we'll talk about it, but control of Arrakis is another one of these limitations of absolute power is you are the one who controls this commodity, but everybody expects you to deliver on that. Right. And you've got to be very careful about how you do it. Cause if you screw it up, the consequences are going to be dire. Yes. Right. Okay. okay. Now, uh, we're getting close to the one hour mark. Mm-hmm. I want to wait to talk about the last of the world building elements here. Okay for a new episode because it's, it's going to require some, some doing, I don't want to get part way into talking about the Fremen and stop. Sure. sure. <laughs> uh, so based on this, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? What's your, what's your response at this point in, you our, know, in our discussion? The thing about sci-fi uh, from the eras that you have spoken of, uh, it always seems to me as being remarkably sloppy. There's nothing nuanced about it. There's nothing particularly clever about it. It's just like, we changed the names of the things that are in the world that we live in, and now these are the things. Hmm. Um, Okay. Now that's partly because of its relatively new nature. Uh, That's partly because... um, I don't know. I I think that as a genre, it's, it's... easily accessible and therefore okay. somewhat democratized and when you democratize it uh you will let a lot of good writers get away with being not particularly nuanced or tidy subtle yeah. not being yeah, particularly subtle. Subtle. subtle herbert drops anvils yeah. like everywhere and it could be that these are the people that you keep bringing to me are, are anvil droppers but also in the 60s like technicolor was a brand new thing and you <laughs> yeah it's true colors in your musicals like mattered you know yeah stuff like that so you know it, it just seems like all the media back then was really subtle and it almost makes me almost not quite but almost makes me think that perhaps the grittiness of the eighties was a, not an overreaction, but a very logical reaction to all of this. Okay. Almost. I almost, <laughs> you know, almost. Yeah, I know. I know both of us, both of us get yeah. that grit in our, in our underwear yeah, and, yeah, and it bugs us. And we're like, no, um, but, but yeah, at least no, with that you had nuance, you had subtlety. Well, okay. See, the thing that bothers me about the grit of uh-huh. the eighties is so often it was not subtle in the opposite direction. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm thinking more about like the grit that you see. Like by the time you get to the Civil War in comic books, yeah, for instance, um, you know, and and my my brother will will disagree with me on this, and he's he's probably right to do so. Um, I think that it was a wonderfully, not particularly subtle because comic books aren't supposed to be, but a wonderfully nuanced argument, because friend of the show Tim, um, has and he's a huge Iron Man guy yeah. and uh and he's like oh okay so you think that people should just not you know like he turns it into the the gun rights issue yeah and i'm like ah you kind of got me there but at the same time 
if you're yeah. looking at, yeah, well, and again, and, and we, we talked about this in the episode. If you're talking right. about, okay, well, my powers are based on a on an object hanging on the wall. Right. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. If my powers are something I didn't choose. Like, right. this is literally part of my identity. Yeah, and, you and, know, and therein, therein lies the you nuance. Know, that's, and that's I also, the rub. I also realized there. that uh, my mic wasn't on just now, so it's entirely wow, possible. Oh, that'll be interesting. We'll find out what, what yeah, came through what on your came side. Through, yeah, but but, uh, but anyway, yeah. so in the 60s, uh, short version, 60s, uh, the writing feels not particularly subtle, um, and and I can't, I can't see why people like it. Like now, I could see why people liked it then in the same way that I liked all the Star Wars books when they came out. Yeah. But they're dog shit. <laughs> Some of them are well, just you know, dog shit, like dog roll. Yeah, well, Sturgeon's Having law. been eaten and then shit out by my dog. Yeah, yeah, like, no, like, yeah. no yeah. I understand. You're, you're so, familiar with, with Sturgeon's Law, though, right? Uh, No. 90% of everything is crap. Oh, wow, that's... Ninety yeah. percent of everything is crap. Yeah. Now, however, there's a second half to that law that mm-hmm. nobody, hardly anybody, ever remembers, which is, but that last ten percent is worth fighting for. Oh, okay, cool. So, um, so yes, so, I, so, I don't think they were particularly subtle. Um, like you said, when I was like, "Oh, it's nuclear power," you're like, "It's also petroleum." I'm like, "Yeah, that's even less subtle." <laughs> like at least nuclear yeah. was kind of newish, kind of, you know. Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think that's my takeaway so far is that Herbert wasn't really writing about, I mean, of course, science fiction is not writing about the future. Well, no. Um, but he's, he's writing a, a romanticized, I read the Hobbit once version of futuristic and yet the other thing is, you know, the thing is I don't like desert adventures at all. I don't like okay. the heat. I like tundra adventures. I okay. like the cold. Like I'm okay. just drawn to those. Okay. So it's a little hard for me to like be like be anything but disdainful for like, well, he said it on early hot planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you recognize that that's yeah. your, your Oh, it's bias. my prejudice. Speaking yeah. there, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking to the the subtlety or lack thereof, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a, a big part of that is the maturity or lack thereof of the genre as a whole. Okay. I can believe that. Because remember that, you know, the, the earliest, you know, antecedents that, that we would look at as being recognizably modern science fiction uh-huh. are, excuse me, are, uh, you know, Buck Rogers, the original, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. serials, um and um john carter of mars right uh and and all of the and again planetary romance stories and it was all swashbuckling adventure stories and they were designed to be brain you know a lot of them were designed to be brain brain candy, candy. yeah and we now look at science fiction and there is an understanding certainly within fandom right maybe not within popular culture as a whole but there is but there is there is an understanding certainly within the science fiction community that no 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 no, we can do literary shit with this genre like we can you know and the thing is part of why dune is important is because yes it's clumsy but but the idea the fact that he's pointing out Mm -hmm. hey look at what this system actually involves yeah like so you're telling me there's this this feudal system on Mars based on these city states of helium and this place and this place and this place. Like, okay, now how does the economy work? Right. 
Like, what does that look like? Right. Herbert really actually looked at that and went, no, no, no. How does that work? Right. Like, what does that actually mean? Okay. So like this... second order, third order sure. calculations sure. from there. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. from a, from a historiographical literary mm-hmm. point of view. It's interesting to me on those levels of nerddom uh, to look at this as the, the pubescent uh, beginnings of what I, what I mentioned previously talking about soft science fiction, Uh you know, coming out of the forties and the fifties into Mm -hmm. the sixties, where we start seeing more and more development of sociological ideas and philosophical political ideas and all that kind of stuff involved. I I guess I would say, um, you know, kind of like when we went back to, uh, first edition D and D. Yeah. I don't care about property <laughs> rights of fake real estate in, yeah. in a fantasy game. And I guess, yeah, great that he thought, like, what would the economy be like? I never would have thought of that, nor would I care. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, which which means it's just simply not for me in terms yeah. of, like, hey, if you like this thing, I don't. Oh, okay. Well. Okay, you well. Know, yeah, moving you know, on then. Yeah, well, yeah. if you like chocolate, I don't. Do you like fruit? You know, it's it's like yeah. one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I I am very interested in the next episode, though, when you yeah. get through the the third leg, as it were. Yeah. Uh, of this world, nice. as to thank you. Uh, see, I listen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, when you get through the third leg of it, I am very curious as to then how this is reflective of the time in which it was written. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's I think, incredibly valid because I cannot deny, you know, it's kind of like, um, I think that Requiem for a Dream is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cannot deny the the excellence of the cinematography of it. Yes. And the you writing. You never and, want to watch it ever again in your life. No. No, yeah. and and so I cannot deny the the uh, influential nature of this book. Yeah, the uh, I what I'm going to assume now is going to be the tremendously um, prescient uh, approach that he takes uh, to telling about the time in which he lives. Uh, that will be undeniable. It just he will have done it in a way that uh, was. You know, not leaves you cold. Yeah, yeah, left yeah. you cold. And that's there's there ain't nothing wrong with that. There, there yeah. have been plenty of times where I've read a book. I'm like, this had a lot of good stuff in it. Don't like it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'm I'm the same way about uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh yeah, there I've you go. seen it. I've seen it once. Mm-hmm. It was an incredibly powerful emotional yep. experience for me. And thank you, no, I never want to fucking watch it again. Yeah, there you go. Um. Like the the ending of that film mm-hmm. gutted me. Fair, absolutely gutted me. Absolutely fair. And there were multiple moments within that film that were really, really brilliant at making it clear mm-hmm. how horrible combat was mm-hmm. in World War Two. Yeah. No, I can think of a and, very specific scene. Uh, yeah, uh, I can. I can yeah. two of them off the top of my head. Yep. The sniper. Oh, okay. Scene, okay. The sniper scene okay. and 
uh, the the German the and the one plunges. gets the knife slowly. The, the, yeah, oh, the, oh, sh- it's okay. Vomitous. Yes. Just oh god, even thinking about it uh-huh. is uh-huh. no. I I I get that's why awful. I was I wasn't gonna say anything. Then you, yeah, you broke hearts, so yeah, uh, I didn't okay. mind playing them. Okay, uh, but uh, I. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand that. I, I completely understand that. Um, I think the difference here, though, is that it had the visceral reaction it was intended to for you. Yeah. Whereas this uh, is talking about a thing I'm interested in, and it does it very well in a way that I don't care. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's totally fine. You know, again, yeah, you know, yeah. there there are episodes in in our podcast that uh, people have been like, yeah, I could not give a shit about your analysis of wrestling for the third time. <laughs> I'm like, I get that. I, I totally, totally get that. Yeah, understand you know? that. Uh, I'm here for it though. Yeah, because you know, you know. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I I I understand. Yeah, so, but yeah, that's that's what I've gleaned from. Okay, it. so cool, cool. yeah. Uh, so I have a recommendation for people today. Okay, um, what is and your I'm going to recommend it sir? next week as well. Okay, but go to bigblackdice.com. Okay, bigblackdice.com, uh, and that will direct you if you are Sacramento local. Uh, that will direct you to the Sacramento Comedy Spot. Uh, f- uh, for the date of Thursday, July 29th, which this this episode should come out well in advance of that um to book yourself a seat to watch diversity and dragons as run by tail morgan uh it's it's a fantastic fantastic show um he is a man who cares a great deal about uh role-playing games making stuff fun uh he has captured lightning in a bottle in a big way and it is their first live show if i recall correctly oh very um, cool that has come back uh and as uh, sac comedy spot has been fantastic about keeping people safe uh but, very cool yeah it it is diversity and dragons um tail morgan uh uh big that's what i'm going to recommend don't read anything go check that out instead okay um so yeah that's okay. that's that's where i'm at all right. Well, I I do have a recommendation. Ooh, cool. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say check that out. Mm-hmm. Number one mm-hmm. because that's fucking awesome. Yep. But the other what I'm going to recommend uh, is a, a a history book okay. uh, entitled Black Count: Glory, Revolution, Betrayal, and the Real Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, cool. Um, and it is oh, because Dumas is. It is a yeah. biography of uh, the fam- the author Dumas's father, mm. General oh, yeah. Daddy Dumas. This guy's amazing. Thomas Alexandre Dumas. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until uh, General Colin Powell became joint uh, uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Alexandre Dumas was the highest ranking black man in a Western army. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, uh, so, uh, this anecdote about him. He yeah. led the French army into Egypt. Yes. The Egyptians saw him at the head of the army and said, this must be Napoleon. And Napoleon showed up and they went, no, no, we want that guy back. Yeah. 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 And he immediately got, uh, demoted and sent back to France because <laughs> Napoleon was that kind of dick. Yes. Um, that guy, um, I, I, I'm going to be teaching English this coming year. Mm-hmm. I don't know what grade level yet. I really want 
to be able to teach some work of Dumas. That'd be great. I'd really like to do Count of Monte Cristo. And part of what I part of what I'm going to harp on is the fact that no, no, no. Look at that photo. Mm-hmm. Look at that photo. Look at his hair. Yep. Look at he. That's a black man. Yes. Writing this classic of Western literature. Yes. And and like because the the default assumption that you and I were raised on. Oh yeah. Was well his name is Dumas. He's a Frenchman, so he's right, a white right. dude. Right. No. No, critical race theory isn't a big, scary bugaboo. It's just teaching actual fucking history. Mm. And so bringing that into the literature curriculum means no, no, not a white guy. Yeah. Um, And so I I really highly recommend uh, everybody reading the story of Dumas' father uh, it's, it's, I mean, if, if it were fiction, it would be hard to believe. Right. Yeah. Um, he, he was, he was the illegitimate son of a renegade French nobleman. Mm-hmm. I mean that literally. Yes. Um, and, uh, was, was kept a slave by his father until it was, you know, convenient at which point he was purchased out of slavery by his father. Right. And and then rose through the French army to become you know one of one of Napoleon's essentially second or third in command kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Fascinating character went on to be the father of one of the greatest writers in Western history. So yeah, yeah, check it out. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Okay, cool. So where where can where can you be found? Uh, if people want to find you yeah you can find me uh at duh harmony on the twitter and the instagram uh feel free to find me there uh you can also find me every tuesday night at twitch.tv forward slash capital puns as my partners and i sling puns back and forth uh for your entertainment the Um, difference between that and this podcast is they actually throw them back yeah there's that there's that um just saying yeah i also i probably talk more in that one so. Well, yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but I mean, the whole conceit of this show is yeah, well, we yeah. teach each other. So yeah. it's, that's no shade. Uh, so yeah, you could find me any of those places. Uh, how about uh, you? Where can you be found? I can be found on uh, Twitter at E.H. Blaylock. I can be found on Instagram at E.H. Blaylock uh, also. And on TikTok, I am Mr. Blaylock. There you go. And now if somebody wants to come at the two of us for yes. uh, something we got wrong either about the history or about an interpretation we have regarding melange as petroleum or mm-hmm. nuclear power. Where would they find us to do that? Uh, you can find us at geek history time on the Twitter or go to our website, uh, geek history of time, um, dot com dot com. So yeah, cool. Well, you know what? For geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling twenties.